0: Football fans, it's now time for the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast. Here are your hosts, Pat Coleman and Keith
1: McMillan. It's the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, and we welcome you to it. My name is Pat Coleman. I'm the editor and publisher of D3Football.com, and I'm glad you downloaded us and hit play on this podcast, episode 25 of season number 12. D3Football.com, Around the Nation podcast number 223. And I'm joined by a guest host today uh, who is Frank Rossi, or if you prefer, he's the Mike Pereira to my Joe Buck. Troy Aikman is off today, so let's welcome in Frank.
2: I really was roughing this uh, weekend. In fact, I uh, literally was roughing about an hour before our interview with uh, Jim Catanzaro earlier and had to like bail out of gridlock in New York City to uh, get in. Place in time for that interview but it's been quite a day and uh pat i'm glad to be here
1: and frank is sitting in for keith mcmillan that would be the troy aikman i've just referenced that's our usual co-host on this podcast sunday is keith's birthday his wife got him tickets to the cowboys eagles game so he's you know by the time you hear this podcast you'll know how happy keith was to be in philadelphia tonight instead of uh, instead of here on the podcast. But we also know that this is a time of year where we have lots of new people on the website and lots of new people on the podcast. So we welcome you. If you don't know what a podcast is, I'm not going to spend time explaining it to you, but basically what we do is uh, on a twice weekly basis during the season and monthly in the off season, we uh, Keith and I primarily, sometimes Frank now, occasionally uh, other people get together and talk about what is happening in Division 3 football and of course what happened in Division 3 football on Sunday. We got a bracket. So there was a lot of stuff going on. Frank is pulling double duty today. He finished hosting his own show earlier this evening in the huddle, which focuses on East Region Division Three football. So any figure, any question we have today, Frank is going to answer from the East Region perspective. I'll try to cover the other three. But, uh, of course, one of the big questions of the day was whether Brockport should get a number one seed or whether St. John's should get one over Whitewater. In fact, here's St. John's quarterback Jackson Erdman. I talked to him after Saturday's 63-23 win versus Thomas Moore. Interesting way to end the season, of course, with a non-conference game against an unfamiliar foe and then throw in the snow to boot. What a day.
3: Yeah, yeah, it was awesome. You know, we knew coming in that they were going to be a good team and tough opponent. You know, Coach Fosch kind of talked about how we want to make a statement game. You know, we were kind of two in the region right now behind Whitewater. You know, we want to come in and just show them that we should be number one.
1: Do you feel you made that statement?
3: I think so. I mean, you can see for the scoreboard and everything, but I think we played a good game and, you know, we're excited moving forward.
1: Obviously, Frank, they did not get the uh, number one seed that they were hoping for or expecting. I figure that this is something that was not going to change with the result of Saturday's games unless Whitewater lost.
2: Yeah, you know, shifting uh, geography to that side, you know, the western side of Division three, even though it really isn't the west. It's more the Midwest, obviously, or a little bit out of it if you want. Uh, it, it just would not have made for convenience in the brackets, and there was a lot of good reasons to choose Brockport as a number one seed uh, with their profile overall, so it, it just wasn't looking good. We toyed with it. We asked the question out loud, especially when Barry was still in there too, and, you know, whether Frostburg State could be in the running uh, as well, et cetera, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it seemed like from week number one that this was going to be the setup with Wisconsin, Whitewater, and Brockport being the last two one seeds.
1: We'll be talking with Jim Catanzaro a little further down the line here in this podcast. Frank and his crew uh, chatted with him on uh, their show on a Sunday afternoon, so you could probably get all the Jim Zero you want, and I think I at least heard one joke that's going to be in both segments, so I semi-apologize in advance. But big things, of course, happened on Saturday. Uh, the other things, of course, that are key are teams playing their way in. I feel very happy that we got all five of the at-large teams correct, Should we say, (laughs) or maybe we should say that the committee got all five of the uh, at-large teams correct. One of them was uh, John Carroll, which played its way in with a 10-point win against Baldwin Wallace. And uh, Brendan Gulick checks in from there, and he chatted with Anthony Meglin, the John Carroll quarterback.
0: So you're a third-year starter in your first year, 2016, uh, a well-documented magical run by the team. A win over Mount Union, you go to the, the national semifinals before losing to Wisconsin Oshkosh. Last year a decent season, couple close games that didn't go your way, and you're left on the outside looking in. So your last memory and, and, and ability to recall playoffs is a couple years ago. Um, what do you try to take from that experience where you were able to win a couple games and string some things together? Uh, you know, as you hope for a playoff bid, not guaranteed, but certainly in good shape. What do you take from that experience this year?
3: I think that we've. We're a very veteran group. Uh, we have a lot of seniors on defense. We have a lot of seniors on offense. And, and we lean on that 16th season a lot. We played in some incredible environments. You talk about Mountain Union in week 10, Wisconsin Whitewater. You talk about Wesley coming here um, right before Thanksgiving. Uh, and then you talk about going to Wisconsin Oshkosh. And we, had, we fought some a lot of adversity. you got to get on a bus and drive 12 hours and play in, when the temperature says 1 degree and wind chills negative 15 and, you know, it's things like that that you can't replicate. You know, you, you can't replicate that at all. And um, the, the fact that a lot of our guys on our team were able to experience those things um, going forward, if we, hopefully we do get in. If we do get in, um, we'll be able to, to have our, our veterans, our seniors, uh, really bring our young guys along and, and let them know that hey we, we got your back we, we know what this is like it ain't anything crazy and, and, and we, we've been here before and that's kind of going to be our mindset going in
1: we've got game balls on this broadcast we'll have categories some of them are different categories heading into the playoffs we'll still have uh, off the beaten path highlights and that sort of thing but uh, frank i know uh, you have obviously the ear and the pulse of people in the east region what was the east region reaction to the bracket
2: a little surprised because I think last year uh, we felt that there were uh, some criticisms. And I brought this up when we talked to uh, coach Catanzaro earlier, uh, there were some you know, issues with the idea that there was an East centric quadrant. The bottom right last year, I uh, kind of had, uh, I think it was uh, Del Valle at that time as the one seed and Brockport is uh, basically a two Frostburg state was put elsewhere. And, but you know, a lot of people were surprised based on the criticisms that came through that it would happen again. I, I think I was convinced that at least half of it would get shaved off uh, to an, another one pod, you know, somewhere else. And they would have risked the flight that way. Uh, it seems like if there was a flight that would have been obviously involved anywhere in this, it pretty much got scrutinized by the NCAA. And that necessitated, I think, them putting the East all together the way they did, except for uh, the Johns Hopkins uh, flip with uh, Del DelVal, essentially.
1: Yeah, we tease this in a quote that's uh, on the website about uh, the, uh, the committee not getting what it wanted. Uh, Zero is going to talk about that and some more things. So you talked about the bottom right. Talk about the top left for a little bit. You know, that is a, that is a uh, quadrant that has four south teams, four west teams, and that's a little bit more, I guess, traditional of what we expected. And what I thought I think we could have seen, sometimes the east and the north can overlap in that sort of way in other parts of the bracket.
2: Well, it comes down to this idea that they have one of those throwaway flight brackets. Uh, That seems to be their go to now. Just when you got flights, dump them all into one so that the other three brackets don't have any flights for the first three rounds to the degree possible. And that's what I see happening there. You got two rematches in the upper left. Uh, That's Harden Simmons uh, at Mary Harden Baylor and Maryville at Barry. And, you know, the winners of those two games will be a flight involved. Uh, obviously, there, but they minimize flights by doing it that way. They could have had two flights in the first round, and then may, maybe a flight in the third round. Who knows? Or in the second round, excuse me. Who knows? Uh, but in this way, they ensure one flight uh, between the first and second rounds in that upper left. Uh, that way, it, it's it's sad on one hand, obviously, and uh, I think we beat this uh, one to death almost uh, between the two interviews that we have uh, going on with Coach Cat. But it's important to note that. This is probably an expectation going forward in some form, if you have an even number of teams, especially, that they can do it with uh, in this uh, manner. So, uh, you know, sorry to say, folks, uh, this is kind of what we expected, kind of, but we're hoping wouldn't happen uh, like it didn't happen for a couple of years here.
1: Well, the football committee has said it will uh, champion any changes to this that it can. Bottom left bracket, uh, one of the teams, one of the great stories in this bracket is Hanover played its way into the bracket by winning its last two games of the season. If you listened to oh, see, I'm supposed to refer to podcasts by number now. Exclusively because I did this thing. Uh, if you listen to podcast 220, uh, we had uh, Matthew Theobald, the head coach of Hanover on on that one. That was uh that was one of our game day podcasts going into week ten, and they were in a position where they needed to win the last two games in order to get back to the NCAA playoffs. And so for Hanover, this is the first trip to the playoffs since 2003. Hanover finishes its, finished its regular season with Franklin, its arch rival, and won the victory bell for the first time since 2004. And, you know, even though this is a, there's going to be lots of teams like this, right, who, had, uh, who are probably not going to advance into the second weekend, but have great stories about getting here.
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, they're one of only uh, two teams with three losses, uh, I believe, if I'm uh, reading this quickly correctly, uh, that uh, are, are even in the tournament at all. Uh, you know, no St. Lawrence's this year with uh, five losses or anything like that. Uh, but You know, it's going to be a tough road, obviously, against North Central. But for a lot of teams, just getting here was the challenge. That's the dream. It was, you know, the success story. It's gravy from here. If they're able to play a great game, and their coaches won't tell them that, obviously, they'll be like, hey, you know, we can win this. We can't be satisfied with just being here. But when they look back at it, Pat, they should be happy just being there because of the success that came kind of out of nowhere for some of these teams like Hanover.
1: Yeah, you mentioned, of course, that there are two three lost teams in the field. I think there are people who still don't understand that there are automatic bids in the NCAA football playoffs, basically like there are automatic bids in basically every other NCAA-sponsored postseason bracket. So, yes, claremont scripps 7-3, and three, but they are the champions of the Act. That's why they're in the field. Similarly, Hanover, 7-3, and three, but they are the champions of the Heartland Collegiate Athletic Conference. Denison, 8-2 and two in our top right bracket. Uh, they were one of uh, three teams tied for first in the NCAC, the North Coast Athletic Conference, and they won the automatic bid virtue of a tiebreaker. Uh, similarly moved down, uh, let's see, Western New England won a, a three-way tiebreaker in the Commonwealth Coast Conference to make the field. And this is, you know, this is obviously the perennial complaint, like, and we see lots of it from, I think, often from new people, people who haven't been in around Division Three and haven't you know, had teams that are contenders or haven't been with a team that's a contender. They don't understand why all of these teams, why all of these conferences get automatic bids. And that is the entirety of the Division Three philosophy is kind of centered around these things.
2: Well, Pat, I added up earlier today. If you include Linfield because uh, they had a a loss against an NAIA team, let's call them a one loss team in Division III uh, games at least. You had 26 teams that had either zero losses or one loss against D3 competition when you throw out the NESCAC teams. And that means that if my math was correct, three of those teams uh, in the one loss category did not get in. Uh, So having one loss is a great season, don't get me wrong, but it does not guarantee admission. There there were eight teams with one loss that I put into a pool C scenario, essentially, and the best they could have done was five out of eight, which is what they did uh, at the end of the day. But that should tell you right there, uh, with at-large bids being so scarce, that's just the way it is. Uh, you go win your conference. That's what it comes down to if you want that certainty.
1: So this week when I learned that uh, Jim Catanzaro was going to be taking my semi-usual spot as the analyst for the NCA.com selection show, I impressed upon him that part of the job was to make sure that all the graphics were spelled correctly, all the records were right on the graphics, and that the host pronounced names of coaches correctly. What I didn't remember to tell him and what I didn't think we had to tell them anymore was that he was also in charge of making sure that the host pronounced all the school names correctly. Pronunciation 101. Buda Monon Bell. Gallardi. Germanario. German Muhlenberg I feel for Mullenberg. I can't remember any school getting mispronounced twice on two separate selection shows. Do they need to change their name to the Mullenberg Muls and just get it over with? Ah, uh, Pat. I think
2: I think it's Muhlenberg. Don't quote me on that.
1: Oh, it's Muhlenberg, and it's not. Well, it's not Allegheny. It's Allegheny. You know, it's just it it boggles the mind that uh, you know there are things produced by the NCAA by people who don't know how to pronounce even the name of the school. And Frank, I'm happy to say that this week's podcast is sponsored by D3 Talent. This is an initiative that we at D3 Sports have to spotlight the Division Three student-athlete and help boost the identity of Division Three participants in general. You know, this isn't something that we've done alone, and it's not new. It's been out for about a year. But I have to tell you about Sam Borst-Smith. He was an All-American point guard at the University of Rochester who brought the concept to us uh, last fall, and I'm going to quote him at length here for a minute. Division III athletics is often underrated and overlooked. The unseen hours student-athletes put into balancing athletics and academics is second to none, emphasizing the mere pride, passion, and love they carry for their sport. Whether it's on or off the field, in the classroom, or working full-time, Talent truly runs deep around, among current and former Division III student-athletes. So Talent Runs Deep is a way of embracing successes among the respected student-athletes. Its mission is to nationally unite, enlighten public perception, and honor the dedication of Division III athletics. So. Frank, you know, we see some strategy on this on social media, you find us on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook, but we have a D3 talent store on fanraise.com and this is the time of year where if you're looking for something for your student athlete for, you know, maybe well, your holiday of choice between now and the end of the year, whether, you know, I don't know what a festivist gift would be, but I'm sure we have something for that too. Show your pride in Division 3 by purchasing t-shirts, sweatshirts, etc. that you can customize not only to your particular sport, but also to your team colors. Proceeds from that store really help our sites, so as you guys do your holiday shopping, go to d3talent.thefanraise.com, d3talent.thefanraise.com, and that is where you can find all of that great stuff. Also, hashtag your D3Talent for us uh, with hashtag D3Talent on any platform that takes hashtags. And it's time for game balls, and I'm going to give mine to St. John's quarterback Jackson Erdman. of the already quoted on this podcast. Erdman threw for a school record seven touchdowns, six of them in the first half, as St. John's rolled out to a 56-10 lead and route to a 63-23 win versus Thomas Moore on Saturday. Erdman was 18 for 23 passing for 255 yards in the win, and and he looks great out there. The the way that the St. John's offense is being run and called this year, and like some previous Johnny's quarterbacks, he's got the green light to call his own plays, at least when St. John's is in the hurry up on offense. This is just a sign of how this program has turned around in a year, Frank. Last year on this podcast, I gave my game ball to the Johnny's punter. And this year in week 11, it's the quarterback.
2: They must have gotten a real kick out of that last year. Hey, now. (laughs) Uh, Even a loss, my game ball goes to Frank Pippich Jr. of Salisbury uh, when Jack Nowitzki went down. I had memories of uh, when I attended Salisbury's game at Rowan, and Frank the Tank, as the team called him, uh, he came in during the late going of it. And it seemed like a novelty when his uh, team scored a touchdown, he scored it for them. And I began to think uh, back then, you know, if he ever had to start, it probably wouldn't be a good sign. But uh, he had to start in week 11 for the Seagulls against Frostburg State. And, uh, well, Frank the Tank, which was my nickname in college, too, I, believe it or not, he held up his end of the Frank the Tank bargain by running for 189 yards and two touchdowns at Salisbury forced overtime against Frostburg State. It wasn't to be an overtime, Pat, but Pippet showed a lot of moxie in the game to earn my game ball.
1: Is there a discount code for that Frank the Tank bargain there, Frank?
2: Of course. It's a lowercase uh, Frank the Tank, one word.
1: Of course. And you take that, of course, to check out at uh, Squarespace and you get uh, no percent off of anything at Squarespace. Since it's a selection <laughs> Sunday, we have a new set of categories to roll out. Frank and I will discuss more about week 11 a little bit later in the podcast. But now it's a time for us to look at the 32 teams on the road to the Stag Bowl and more specifically, the bracket that will take us there. And we're going to start with what the committee got right. And I think the committee got a lot right, starting, of course, with the teams Uh, We had all the same teams that they did. That's helpful. It's really disappointing to deal with this unexpected restriction on the bracketing. There are nonetheless a lot of familiar matchups, and there's some crossover play between regions and a couple of West North matchups and a North South matchup and a Southeast matchup. Bethel is a three seed and Trine as a four in the bottom left bracket looks right. Uh, There's a lot of weeping and gnashing of teeth about some of the matchups, but this isn't far from what regular observers would have expected when bracketing these 32 teams.
2: And similarly, uh, Pat, I think the pool C teams were correct, not just because you picked them correctly in your bracket on Saturday night. (laughs) Uh, I think especially uh, the right call here was not picking Linfield. And I understand the Wildcats had a great strength of schedule number, but with the low number of D3 games comprising it, the number could have been a little misleading. And Coach Cat told us specifically secondary criteria didn't play much of a role. So Uh, You know, throw out that NAIA game, I guess, uh, because it didn't really come to the table. It was a combination of winning percentage and results versus regionally ranked opponents likely uh, that led to the idea that there were uh, better teams on the board, especially that round five uh, matchup that probably took a little while to talk about for them. I know that Wabash making the playoffs would have been sort of a fairytale ending to an emotional season following the death of Evan Hansen. But the committee had to look away from the emotion of the situation and recognize that the Little Giants profile just wasn't up to snuff. And my message to Wabash is that your team thoroughly impressed many of us this year, especially in your ability to rebound and hold it together. You're truly winners because you learned to grow even more as a team and to take the lessons from the news of the season and not quit on the field or on each other. And I know it's no consolation, uh, but but in 10 years, you'll understand what I'm saying a lot more as you look back and retain those close friendships.
1: I understand that uh, my message to XYZ might fly on your show. We don't do that on our show, but I will let I let it go because it's for a good cause this time. All right. Yes, sir. (laughs) All right. Here's what the committee did not get right. I mean, I think the committee got right what it could. Its hands seemed really severely tied this year. I'm not sure I like the thought of St. John's at Mary Harden Baylor in the quarterfinals, but you get to that point in the bracket, there just generally aren't any bad teams that you can go and play. The one thing I look at and wish could have been done was to lift out the John Carroll-Randolph-Macon matchup and swap it with the Frostburg State-Western New England matchup. Catanzaro is going to talk here in a minute about the fact that the committee can only control first-round flights and about how much they tried to separate John Carroll and Mount Union. But what? Well, uh, well, maybe I should just let him talk about it. Oh no! Now on the D3Football.com Around the Nation podcast, we're joined by Jim Catanzaro, the head coach at Lake Forest College and the chair of the Division Three Football National Committee. Jim, I do really appreciate all the time you've given us so far this season and again taking your time here on Selection Sunday.
0: Uh, it's absolutely my pleasure, Pat. I, l- I love what you guys do for D3 football, so uh, in my opinion, it's the least that I can do.
1: All right. You, people look at the bracket and they're going to see the first pairing right out of the gate is going to be the one that everybody is going to be groaning over, rematching Harden-Simmons and Mary Harden-Baylor in the first round. Tell us a little bit about how that came about, because I'm sure that's not how you guys envisioned it.
0: No, it's re- it's definitely not what we want as a as a committee as we're trying to set up that. And, and me personally, it's probably the one thing that I am most against, and that's having rematches um, of conference teams. Uh, I don't necessarily, if, if they played in non-conference, that's different, but conference team matchups we really don't like, and, Unfortunately, you know, over the last couple of years, we'd gotten away from the Division Three philosophy and uh, making the tournament, you know, with less flights and less, a little bit less strain on the travel. Um, we kind of got away from what other Division Three sports are doing, and we kind of got called to the carpet on that a little bit. So we had to to rein that back in a little bit. Um, but we are helping kind of champion that cause at the championship level um, with the NCAA to try to get that changed for the future. Um, but that was really the one that was the, you know, I think that everybody on our committee wanted to try and find a way. We messed with a whole bunch of different ways. Um, but what happens is when you send Harden simmons somewhere else, now it's not just always a flight there. You're, you're talking about possibly two flights. And the NCAA really looks at us to control the first round. Um, that's their biggest sticking point because we can't predict who's going to win. Um, and so when we we do that in the first round, it's the only place we can control flights. And so I think that they, uh, you know, they really kind of hammered us on that one a little bit. And so that was kind of the concession that we had we had to live with.
1: Now, we we talked about this previously, that you felt like you guys had a max number of flights that were uh, feasible for the entirety of the bracket, not including the stag bowl. And now what you've just described, of course, is the way it it had been described to us in previous years. So it feels like this is it's just kind of something where the circle is kind of going back around.
0: Well, I think you're to, there's chances for flights later on. There, there are other teams that are going to have to fly. Um, you know, the, the winner of the Whitworth-Claremont game is still going to have to fly. Somebody's going to have to fly to um, Mary Harden-Baylor or, you know, whoever wins that game. Um, there's just the Texas, the outliers. And then you could have a, a situation where Huston could be a flight because they're a, you know, a distance kind of landlocked. As much as we talk about the islands in the West and the South, um, they're kind of up there with not a whole lot of teams that they can play regionally um, as well, and then you look at some of the other teams. Um, there are a couple of other games where, depending who wins, there could be another flight um, that doesn't stand out on paper. Is hey, that's a flight, but it's actually 500 plus miles away from one of the other schools that could potentially win the game.
1: Right. I mean, that's always been a potentiality, right? Basically, the entire time, for example, that Husson is in the bracket, that's always a possibility, right?
0: Correct. And there's some other ones that we tried to create. But I think that what you have is a, a bracket that is, there's five at-large teams, there's the one Pool B team, and the geography of some of our AQs really dictates where we have to build the bracket around a little bit because of where they can or cannot go.
1: All right, so in the process of Saturday's games being played, it seemed like the, the Pool B decision probably got a little easier, whereas there was a maybe a doomsday scenario, so to speak, of... MIT losing and Merchant Marine losing and Thomas Moore losing you had basically uh, just one of the three uh, one of the three win and that seemed to make the decision easier. is that uh, does that sound right?
0: Um, there was <laughs> I, I actually just said this on uh, a different spot. Um, it's okay but, you, you know, can, I made the mistake you c- you c- I, I made the mistake in 216 with you of saying that Pool B is always the the easiest part. <laughs> and uh, this year it was probably the most complex discussion about Pool B. Um, because I don't think that I, I think what our committee did a great job of was not just disregarding um, Thomas Moore. We we really looked at their schedule in the seven and three record and who they had played and how they had played. And it just they were they were a big discussion point. They were regionally ranked. They were they were all those things. And uh, unfortunately, you know, they they ended up coming off the
1: off the board. Were they regionally ranked in your final ranking?
0: No, they, uh, they ended up not being in the final regional rankings. Um, the South Rack is a conversation that I sat in on, and, you know, they had a long, lengthy discussion about Thomas Moore. And I think that, you know, the, the third loss in the regional rankings really hurt them, um, probably even more so than it did in the Pool B discussion. Uh, but they were definitely the other team that was up there, you know, being discussed.
1: All right, so you guys picked the same five at-large teams as we did, which you know means that this is going to be a much easier conversation. So kudos for that. But uh, my our thoughts always are then who are the next teams up, and I know that you know this is something that will be revealed in the regional rankings that uh, we'll be able to discern them for ourselves when that does come out. But uh, who are the who are the teams that were next up on the list?
0: Yeah, so you had uh, you know the remaining teams from the regional rankings were. Uh, in the east was Ithaca. Um, in the west was Linfield. In the north uh, was Wabash, and in the south, I unfortunately can't remember that one well, off the top of my head. There probably
1: wasn't when I assume a south team was your last team in.
0: That's correct.
1: <laughs> I mean, it only makes sense because three out of the five were from the south. So right. yes, I'm not. I don't think you've yep. given away any. Uh, I don't think you're giving away any secrets. Hopefully, your uh, your minder over there isn't going to give you any, the 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 stink eye for that. Um,
0: well, he's not in, he's not in the room with me, so we're good.
1: <laughs> okay, good. Now is the time to ask. No. Um, okay, so as the regional rankings have kind of gone previously over the course of the previous couple of weeks, you know we've seen a, a situation where it seems like the North Region and the North Rack is really very focused on lining up all the unbeaten teams, and then all the one-loss teams before you get to any two-loss teams. And I know, obviously, there's one uh, discrepancy that uh, Trine is not ranked with the other unbeaten teams, but it seems like the, the resume for someone, say, like Illinois Wesleyan, especially depending on who is ranked in that final ranking, seems like they are, uh, that they should be higher than some of the one-loss teams that are in that ranking.
0: Yeah, I mean, that's the where we really lean on the, the racks because they're the ones that see them. Um, I wish I could tell you that I've seen all 250 teams play. Um, but, you know, we have to kind of look at what they're looking at. And as long as there's not major um, issues within the um, criteria that they're putting up there, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be the chairman that's going to bang the table and say that's not right because that's a better team. That's not my, my judgment place. Um, teams are, you know, evaluated by the people that are seeing them at the regional advisory committee and then they send their recommendations on up. And, and I think that that's something we have to respect in the process that. They're, they're paying a lot of attention to that. And um, you know, not necessarily uh, trying to go for a self-serving motive. They're really trying to make the best pool that we can, can draw from.
1: Does the fact that Wabash didn't get selected and basically was then on the board for most of the selection process mean that they did not do a good job of getting their teams in?
0: Um, I don't know. That, I don't know that that's their job is to get their teams in. I think that they have to put their teams in the order. And I think when you have some of those head-to-head contests that really kind of predicate that. And if they if they value the the nine-in-one record and they think that there's a valuable win there with a regionally ranked win um, as opposed to maybe some losses, I, I think that that's their their prerogative. And I think that they're going to put the the team that they think belongs there the most. And uh, I, I think that's really the special part. Again, if there's nothing. If there's nothing in the criteria that's wrong in, in being wrongly evaluated, we we talk about that 15% that is the coaches. We talk about the the numeric part that is the NCAA criteria, and I guess the as I look at how they had the teams ranked in the North, um, you know, I, I think they've got a couple of situations there where they really had a tough tough decision to make on some things, and, and I think the regionally ranked wins kind of you know were were kind of all over the place, but. I think that there was some cannibalization in some of the conferences where teams were playing each other, whether it was a WIAC situation or the CCIW or some others, where the losses that piled up ended up probably costing them. Even though I think most people consider them good quality win or good quality losses, if you would count that, I think it was about who did they beat, and that was a big part of it. And uh, you know, just depending on where it got bogged down with some other things throughout the the weeks of rankings, I think that's where you saw Wabash kind of sit where they were.
1: We talked uh, in our previous conversation, and I appreciate that you referenced the actual podcast number because uh, I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm the only one who does that. Um, but the, uh, the, the possibility or the attempt to try to get new and different pairings and try to cross teams over across region. I understand that you feel like you guys got smacked down a little bit about crossing teams uh, across the lines. But uh, what did you feel like were the interesting matchups that you guys got uh, out of this bracket and out of these 32 teams?
0: Yeah, I think that the uh, the Minnesota California matchup is a, or I shouldn't say California West Coast Minnesota matchup potential um, in the second round is a really good one. Um, I think that you've got some North and West region crossover, which ge- geographically um, you know is something that's a little bit easier to do, particularly around Wisconsin, Chicago, and uh, you know Indiana. I think that there's some real opportunity in that tri-state area to to make some of that happen. Um, I also just think that there were some some teams that hadn't played each other in in quite some time. That it's a, a good matchup. Um, I also think that teams that kind of played really well and put themselves in position uh, to to have good matchups and not have to be the um, you know the same opponent they'd seen in the first two rounds. And it may not have been a ton, but there are some teams that are geographically very close to one another that that don't play each other. And, and this is a chance for those teams to play and. You know, there's probably one team in that matchup that maybe doesn't get as excited about it as others, and you know, it, it's still an opportunity for them to have that local matchup and maybe bring in a few more of their fans to a to an away game, even though it's cross regions.
1: When you guys are having the conversations about bracketing, how much of the uh, how much of the equation or how much of a consideration would it be to try to keep, uh, say, Mount Union and John Carroll? from... Hotter, 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 from- facing each other in the quarterfinals if it were possible to move them across the bracket and make it happen later
0: uh it's kind of just it it is discussed to a point and i think we we tried to do that with a couple of uh schools i I think it's more the first two rounds it's really trying to keep them apart for the first two rounds after that you get into the quarterfinals you're going to be playing one of the best teams in the country no matter who who you're playing and to me that's a that's part of being in the tournament you want to play those teams and so it shouldn't be as consideration as much consideration. Um, but to me, it's really those first two rounds. Can we keep them out of the same pods as much as possible? And if there is an opportunity, you know, to move them somewhere else, um, yeah, you know, we can try to do that. And it's just a matter of how does it fit with the other pieces of the bracket when you get to that point?
1: A lot of the questions I end up asking basically at this point are the ones that, I know that fans are going to ask about so like we've talked about Illinois Wesleyan there's been a lot of noise about what the North region looks like and about Wabash for that matter. The other big question I think people have been talking about over the course of the last couple of weeks is number one seed, whether it's uh, whether there should be one for St. John's or UW. Whitewater or whether there should be one for St John's. Or Brockport. So, how was it? A, was it a fairly quick and easy decision to have the four top seeds from four different regions, as there was in last year's bracket?
0: Uh, not really. I mean, to be honest with you, because there were more undefeated teams um, with strong numbers, strong strength of schedule, um, as well as you know some pedigree of some really quality wins. I, I think that that really actually caused a little bit more conversation because there was there was a deep dive into you know which 10 and O's are are the true 10 and O's, you know, which are, which does a 10 and O make them um, up for consideration for, you know, hosting at the, at the more in-depth levels of the tournament, or is it a, um, you know, situation where there is some, you know, yeah, they're undefeated, but who did they play? But the strength of schedules for a lot of our undefeated teams were really, really strong. And I think that you could, in some ways, flip a coin on a couple of them. Um, we didn't do that. <laughs> I can I promise you <laughs> that. Um, but I think that the the difference between certain teams is so slight um, that to to try and find that criteria piece or something that really makes it a clear cut, no doubt about it, this is who it should be. Um, there really wasn't a lot of that, and I think that's where the value in the rack is. Is that you know if the rack is saying that this team's the one in the the West, this team's the two in the West. Well, then we should take into consideration that that's probably the order that they should go.
1: I'm sorry, I'm just making a note. Coin flip, not one of the criteria. Okay, got it. the uh, The other thing I want to ask about is about things that happened on Saturday, right? There were not a lot of uh, a lot of games on Saturday that necessarily kind of upset the apple cart or upset what I think at least our preconceived notions were or what. You know, it might have looked like coming out of week ten or for or whatever, but uh, Barry losing at Trinity seemed to be one of those pieces where, even though Barry already had an automatic bid and Trinity was not getting in the field, it seemed like that was one of those situations where that loss could really reshape the bracket. Is that uh, what did you guys think
4: about that?
0: Yeah, and I think that it did have some uh, some impact because in the final regional rankings, it shifted where certain teams were, and I think that that made a, a challenge now on for better or worse uh, that happened in the South region, which is one of the Island regions where it's really hard to um, get people to play one another in certain areas. But I think we had a, you know, as we kind of prepared our, you know, potential seedings with the AQs and where teams would be if they, they kind of held true with, you know, the undefeated at the time, I think that as we started to plot it out initially, I do think that that game had a, a an impact on not just on Barry, but onto other teams, um both in their region and uh and beyond.
1: How did you feel about your performance on the selection show?
0: Um, you know, it was my first time and I continue to say that I like being on yours a lot better because my face is for radio and sidelines not for TV. So that was a uh having a, a Skype camera in my face was uh maybe not the best look for me.
1: <laughs> They'd not give you like a big headset or something. You could just wear a, a coaching headset and I think you'd probably maybe be more comfortable.
0: Yeah, that would have been a little bit better. That would have been a little better for me.
1: Talk to us a little bit about the secondary criteria, when they're used. You know, someone like uh, Linfield, who has a non-Division 3 loss, yeah. is that also something that's evaluated, and is it evaluated down to, like, the same nitty-gritty you look at who a team lost to and how they lost and that sort of thing for those games as well?
0: I can say that this year the, the secondary criteria was a very, very, very small piece of, of the discussion, at least in picking the, the pool C teams. Um, I think that where it was maybe more brought up was as we were trying to discuss some of the cross-region matchups within the tournament and maybe who should host and who should go on the road and who should, you know, be in a situation um, where the matchups, you know, made geographic sense. You know, was there, even though we were crossing different regions, did it make sense within the whole bracket?
1: What are you looking forward to this week? What do you think? What do you think fans should know in general as we go into the first round of the playoffs here?
0: I think the best part about it is there's some really interesting matchups, some really exciting games. Um, you know, there were some teams that won their way into the the NCAA tournament uh, this past weekend. You know, securing automatic qualifiers, and are they coming in on a high, or is it kind of a a lull for them after getting that big victory that they may have needed on Saturday to get into the tournament. I think that that's a um, a piece of the tournament that is, you know, not something we consider at this at the CD, you know, as we're bracketing this, but for me, I just as a football fan like to see that component. You know, I, I like to see that, you know, as a team that was down early in the season and, and picked up a loss, um, you know, like maybe a Wartburg who is coming in as a conference champion are they on a high because they have had some of these winter go home games over the last couple of weeks to, to get themselves into the playoffs. And does that kind of carry over? And, and there's other teams that I look at that are in similar situations. And, you know, are there matchups that, um, you know, make the, the rack rankings come into play where it's like, all right, well for the whole year, this team has been ranked ahead of this team. And now they're playing one another. And, and how does that go? You know, who does the, who does that favor? And I think that that's something that is, you know, from a football fan perspective, some of the things that I'll be paying, you know, additional attention while I'm out there site repping at different at different places.
1: Frank, uh, Jim Catanzaro mentions uh, many things, of course, in the course of this interview. And we will talk about uh, some of these things as we continue as well. And we have talked about some of them already. We've previewed this conversation maybe too well. But he does mention, of course, that the committee is going to continue to fight against this new, uh, you know, ultra-restrictiveness on the part of the NCAA that it's enforcing on the football bracket. You know, here's the thing. Football is just plain a different sport than other sports at the Division three level. We have a small number of teams, but they're distributed fairly evenly, as, as evenly as Division three is anyway, from coast to coast. We don't have 450 teams nationally like you do in basketball. And we don't have something like field hockey, which has maybe the same number of teams or a similar number of teams as football, but is limited to a smaller geographic footprint. This is just something that is different, and I would advocate for it needing to be treated differently. I'm Frank Rossi, and I endorse that message. We will uh, ask for a recount and then a manual recount if necessary, but uh, I don't think we're going to get one. I think we've got the bracket we've got. All right, team that played itself in or out of a home game in Week 11. Uh, if you don't remember these categories or don't recognize these categories, these are things that, uh, that came to us uh, down through the ages from the Keith McMillan Around the Nation column that he would write this time of year. Uh, and I would say Bethel definitely played itself into a home game with its uh, play in Week 11. Heck, played itself into the tournament with the 21-15 win against St. Thomas on Saturday. And John Carroll did the same. Barry may have played its way out of a second home game, but obviously did not play its way out of a first one.
2: Yeah, uh, Bethel's a good call, especially, I think, uh, for playing out. Uh, I can't really identify anybody, uh, much like you in the first round at least. Uh, RPI was probably the closest team to doing so in terms of playing themselves out. But the uh, distance between the engineers and the next team admitted from the East, likely the engineers of MIT, uh, it was so large that our RPI couldn't have been placed lower than, I would say, fourth regionally. And they might've been able to even stay above DelVal as of recording this, we don't have the regional rankings still uh, to, you know, look at, to tell this, but uh, because of the strength of schedule differential RPI may have stayed third. So RPI still hosts and they get long distance traveler, Hussin. Congratulations, Hassan.
1: Husson, the perennial 480 miles by bus member of this committee or of this bracket or of this, you know, Division three football membership. Uh, the, of course, one side note before we move on to the next category uh, at St. John's, there was a significant amount of glee from the uh, fans in the stands every time that the Bethel St. Thomas score was mentioned.
2: <laughs> i i can't i, I just wonder why I, what happened there
1: <laughs> i can't imagine it was also one of the most intriguing things of the second half of uh of the game because uh it was uh the foot the, the game i was there for was out of uh yeah 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 it was out of reach fairly early let's dive back into the cat and zero stuff for a second we uh talked about who was going to be the next team off the board we've talked a little bit um you know, offline, and we've talked a little bit in Twitter and, you know, in other places about the North Region Committee, and I just feel like there should be some conversation about this between you and me as well. And and there really should be, I think, more of a conversation among the committee as to why the North rack racked its teams up this way and left Wabash as the team that was going to be on the table for a significant amount of time with a a sub-500 strength of schedule I think that they had, didn't they have to think that that was going to be a blocker at that point and not let anybody else in?
2: He, he the quote in your uh, interview that stuck with me was him saying, it's not really their job to do that. Essentially a paraphrasing. Yeah, and,
1: and do you agree with that? I'm not sure I agree with well, that.
2: I, I I said, it stuck with me. I didn't say I agreed with it necessarily. Yeah. I, I, what I wanted to say here is essentially you and I had this conversation Uh, On our Slack channel this week about the East and how they were handling at that time, MIT and Merchant Marine and who had the better profile to go up against teams later on, even though the head to head existed between the teams. And I don't know if there's a consistent answer to it because you could argue both ways. There's nepotism to a degree. These are human beings and they represent their regions in the racks. And then it's the committee's job maybe to look at some of these things if there are anomalies showing through and say, hey, guys, knock it off. So I I think the North is doing what the North wants to do. And the committee does have the right to say to them, we're making changes. And could you please uh, rubber stamp those changes for us? or let it go and in these cases it didn't seem like it changed over the two weeks and then probably in the final regional rankings as well so i I guess they subscribe to the idea at least in the national committee that it is not necessarily their job to put uh, you know cherry pick the best pool c candidate to put at the top let the criteria do what the criteria do and do it that way ultimately uh whether a team from the north would have you know fared better than wabash ultimately i don't know it's tough to do these what ifs they might have but we'll never really know for sure
1: i mean all we know that is that they couldn't do worse right
2: well true good point
1: What's the most intriguing thing in this bracket that you think people might have missed? Uh, One of the things that's interesting to me is that we probably will well get that Barry-Mary Harden-Baylor game that we had been talking about uh, for the past couple of weeks when it looked like it was going to be a collision course between Mary Harden-Baylor and Barry, both undefeated teams. Now it's going to happen primarily because Barry lost that game at Trinity – On Saturday. Otherwise, I think they probably may well have been separated a little more. But there has been so much focus on, you know, Mary Harden Baylor versus Harden Simmons and then potentially having St. John's awaiting them in the quarterfinals that we haven't really thought or people haven't really thought a lot about that second round game, which could be Barry or could be Maryville. It's funny
2: because my focus here is on the second round as well because there are two battles of undefeated teams possible in the second round. We finished the season with eight undefeated teams and uh, not all of them qualified in the slots for ones and twos, the one and two seeds. So Trine could travel to UW-Whitewater and Whitworth could travel to St. John's in the second round. I know Trine receives a fair amount of doubt from folks concerning the ranking, and you know this would be an early game to prove whether or not that doubt is fair. Uh, Whitworth at St. John's, though, that's really a wild card game to me, Pat, because I'm not sure how good Whitworth is based on how things looked for Linfield when they beat them in the early part of the season. Uh, The Johnnies will have a tough task early in that game if it's played. uh, Obviously, they have to win their first-round matchups to get there.
1: And it will be played, of course, on Thanksgiving weekend if it happens. And that's always a, an interesting kind of wrench that gets thrown into the preparation for that week. Best first-round game. I'm going with W&J at center. I'm thinking in this instance of, of course, it being a matchup between, I think, fairly evenly matched teams uh a, a, an at-large team and a a, a a conference champ of course but I'm really interested in the passing offense of w and the presidents and Jacob Adams and uh and his crew against the folks at center which includes star defensive back Cal Llewellyn I, I think that's uh, the interesting the most interesting matchup to me in that kind of little you know the subplots of that game
2: I'm going to go to the East Region team that's not in the East Region bracket. How's that, uh, Muhlenberg at Delval? Uh, you know, despite uh, probably being a game that neither team wanted in the first round, at least because of that proximity issue between these two teams, it really hits me as a great matchup. We thought Del uh, Delval was in trouble after that Week One loss to Wesley, especially with their lack of returning starters this year. But they've won out since, and you know, avoiding an upset uh, at midseason against uh, Stevenson was part of that. Uh, Muhlenberg, aside from the loss to Johns Hopkins week nine, shown some real grit on offense and had that quality win at Thomas Moore. That opened a number of eyes. I think this uh, game sets up as a high scoring affair, patent, probably in the 30s for both teams. And I wouldn't be surprised to see Muhlenberg actually win this game. It's that close in my view. Hey, I'm thinking back to last year. Frostburg State was the anomaly team that wasn't in the East centric bracket. Didn't they uh, play a really, really good game uh, tight in the first round against, I want to say, W and J? Uh, So these East teams that visit other brackets uh, generally do have pretty good games, at least in the first round, if uh, my memory is serving here.
1: So that's, uh, that's one instance. Congratulations on getting the one instance. Thanks. It's for, uh, Frostburg State won at Wittenberg in the first round, uh, pulled away in the second half, and then had that great game against W&J that's in round number two yep. before they died where everybody else dies in Alliance, Ohio. I think this is the, the matchup that you cite there between Muhlenberg and Delaware Valley. It's one of the dangers of more you know, hyper-regionalizing these brackets. It's like the committee didn't know that the Mac and the Centennial play each other all the time and they have a postseason bowl series and maybe the Mac and the Centennial getting matched up in the National Championship Tournament is not all that interesting.
2: Although, again, I, I think this game is going to be a good game and we want to see good games in these uh, tournaments because it tells us that we've got good matchups ultimately. But I uh, could have waited around or two. Yeah, it could have.
1: I just know there's lots of teams because of the geography that could play either of those guys. Toughest path to the Stag Bowl? Uh, for me, the toughest path to the Stag Bowl has to be St. John's, at least if we're talking about teams with legitimate chances. Uh, they do have a first round matchup that is appropriate for a team with their seating and then they face Whitworth in the second round potentially then they potentially face Mary Harden Baylor coming out of the other side of the bracket and then oh there's those Whitewater guys um, you don't get to the stag bowl without getting through a pretty rough gauntlet if you're the Johnnies this week this week next week the week following the following week all those weeks.
2: Yeah, good point. I uh went kind of onto the number one seed uh view of this uh question and on paper. I honestly think it's Brockport and four people kind of laughed me off the stage on this one, and all with all due respect to, to the upset message board posts and tweets from the UMHB fans. Uh let me explain why. Uh, Brockport has shut down teams with good offenses all season, but they've struggled putting up points against teams with stronger defenses. Uh, There's a common bond between teams that played them close, Cortland, Ithaca and Utica. And it's just that they seem to all have strong defenses. So let's look at the teams they face. Framingham state doesn't look like a huge challenge. I, I, you know, granted there. uh, RPI has a defense that's been understated all season long. And I'm going to toss out that union game because that's a huge rivalry game and we tend to throughout those rivalry game results, especially when the team's are already kind of in the playoff clubhouse uh, when those games are being played. Uh, so let's go to that RPI game against Ithaca. It was a 10-9 game. Uh, then it's likely Frostburg State, another team that's uh, you know, strong in defense most of the time this season. And then uh, Mount Union and Alliance, perhaps. Uh, you know, No team is going to beat Brockport in shootout is my philosophy, but teams uh, that they're aligned against here – might actually be the right teams to slow down the scoring and stick around long enough to cause anxiety to the Golden Eagles on their way to the Stag Bowl.
1: For my off-the-beaten-path highlight, I'm going to go with the Cal Lutheran Kingsmen who paid tribute to the 12 victims of the borderline shooting by writing all of the names on the back of their helmets. The shooting, of course, is just one of uh, two tragedies that the Thousand Oaks, California area has been dealing with, including uh, wildfires, and it was really nice to see Calu play tribute. We'll post a link with a photo on the page that goes on with this podcast.
2: Now, Pat, uh, there are a number of highlights I'd love to pick. Uh, you know, Coast Guard's big win of the Secretary's Cup against Merchant Marine 26-12 to or University of New England's win in the battle of the 2018 debut teams against Alvernia. But I, I got to change uh, off-the-beaten-path highlight to low-light here, and there's a reason for it. Uh, there is a video I was uh, sent Sunday that disturbed me uh, from an East Region game, and we're not exactly sure what spurred it. Uh, you know, I watched the video stream of the game itself, and it, it's not in there. Uh, and so I'm thinking it's at the end of the game or afterward. Uh, but there was some chippiness at the beginning of the game between Westfield State and Western Connecticut State. It was Wisconsin Senior Day, and something happened to cause a melee that lasted probably about a minute and involved a great deal of both teams' players. Uh, the video, had, you know, besides being rough to watch, uh, it has to be addressed by the Masscat Conference and the school's, and hopefully they'll make sure that those involved are penalized appropriately as of uh, recording, no statements are have been found for these, uh, from those parties. But let me say this, we're family in D3 football and you know, like any family all it takes is one or two bad apples to scar the image of the family. So if you can't handle losing and a little bit of jawing, then, you know, the game of football is not for you, especially at our level. So whether you have games left this year or or you're done, remember, there are camera phones everywhere. Twitter and YouTube are not your friends when you act out of line. And this fight was out of line in every way. So I'm really upset that those teams couldn't handle their emotions on such a special day at WestCon on Senior Day.
1: You know, Frank calls out a team again. And again, I got to I got to say you're all right. I'm, I'm with you on that. Moving on to stat of the week and my stat of the week is uh, Christopher Newport, or really, it's Dylan Curran. Dylan Curran defeating Wesley by the score of 16-14. to Dylan Curran for uh, Christopher Newport kicked field goals of 32, 45, and 47 yards, ran for a five-yard touchdown, and kicked the extra point for that uh, final 16-14 score. A, uh, a pretty impressive all-around performance. You know, Frank, one of the things that people have suggested in uh, how to improve football, and I, I hope you heard the air quotes, was to make the person who scored the touchdown uh, attempt to convert the extra point. If it was Dylan Curran, he would have uh, he'd have it nailed.
2: Well, well played there. Uh, My stat of the week is brought to you by the number six in the letters I N and T, as in six interceptions by St. Norbert to win the Midwest Conference against Monmouth. And they probably needed every one of those interceptions, Pat, as they won the low scoring game uh, by the score of 10 to 7. Uh, Joe Peterson collected half of those ints for the Green Knights, and Ben Kronowski had a pick six off of his uh, first quarter int. That was 140 into the game. It was the only touchdown scored by Saint Norbert in that game. Of course, uh, Mama's final possession ended by Hunter was uh, ended by Hunter Prokash's interception of Hayden Nelson, who was responsible for all six of Mama's picks. Uh, Saint Norbert will need that type of defense to tame Try next week in the first round of the playoffs. Uh, Maybe even more of it than just that.
1: Boy, I tell you too, Trine might not even throw six passes.
2: That's possible, and uh, you know, then it's going <laughs> to have to force fumbles on the run, I guess, to get the equivalent to happen there.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's uh, the Lamar Carswell show this year for Trine, and uh, I've seen Lamar Carswell play. He is, uh, it's you know, I don't usually make those kind of predictions because I'm usually the person who makes the decision, but he's basically destined for a very high spot on our uh, postseason. All-America team.
4: Categories have become tiresome. Now's the time on Sprockets when we dance.
1: I was on St. John's uh, Thursday Night Coaches show by phone on Thursday, and uh, I used the word crap ton, uh, and then I apologized for it because I wasn't sure what the audience was, especially in the room, because I was joining by phone. I was told crap ton was not a problem there. I'll say this. We got a crap ton of questions on Twitter. And we didn't have to ask for them, but we are—we uh, answered all the questions on Twitter that we could on Twitter. So instead, in this segment, we're gonna join uh, Kevin Nias. Kevin Nias, of course, if you have uh, listened to this podcast previously, you may have heard uh, Keith or I name drop this guy. He's a, a former quarterback at Thomas More, played in the in the uh, late '90s. Uh, his previous claim to fame was getting pile-drived by a, an All-American defensive end in a photo on our website. That was cool for him. He really enjoyed that. Um, but he was in town on the, uh, in, here in the Twin Cities this weekend uh, to head up to Collegeville to watch his team uh, basically end out its tenure in Division Three football, and we had a short chat about that.
4: It was a really good effort this year to put together the schedule. Uh, seven road games, as the site said, 7,500 miles. Really proud of the effort. The first game uh, featured 35 freshmen on the travel squad, so um, they really grew up as the year went through. It is bittersweet leaving the division, and um, you know, wish uh, wish the school well, and and you know, apparently I'm a free agent now. Yeah, so are you, like, taking offers then for your fandom? Um, I'm going to have to talk to Frank about that, see how he do that, but um, I, I think I will be taking offers on the message boards.
1: So if you uh, if you need a fan, uh, someone who has followed NCAA Division three for more than 20 years, Kevin is available. You can find him as a Saints fan on the message board. Your thoughts about uh, St. John's after having seen them on Saturday and what they looked like against uh, against Thomas Moore?
4: Uh, St. John's offense is, is very, very good. Well put together and constructed for Jackson Erdman, I believe he's going to turn some heads this off season um, they are athletic at receiver um they 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 are a very good team and uh looking forward to seeing uh them perform in the playoffs. Frank it just happened to have you here on this podcast. your response
2: uh you know, I've become a fan of, what, 60-plus teams at the end of the day, Kevin. So, you know, when you're around for 23 years like I've been, you can definitely figure out how to broaden your base, broaden your horizons. So, you know, follow, follow my footsteps. Come co-host uh, In the Huddle because it seems like all these podcasts now take applications for guest hosts. So that that's the best way, I think, to handle when you lose your team that uh, you usually cheer for, how you can handle it ultimately. Host a podcast.
1: Every uh, every podcast needs a roster of uh, guest hosts, emergency 1 a.m. guest hosts, uh, you know, non-emergency uh, Saturday 5 p.m. call guest hosts. So, uh, <laughs> yeah. We appreciate that.
4: Every thought of yours is a friend of mine.
1: So, Frank, this is your first time and Every Thought of Yours. Uh, you can lead us off.
2: Well, a little self promotion. How's that in my thoughts? Uh, some folks might know about the bowl games we have in the East Region and a couple other conferences like Centennial and the MAC. Uh, we have announcements coming up uh, for the New England Bowl, uh, three Centennial MAC Bowl series games, and the ECAC uh, Bowl games. Uh, they'll be made throughout Monday. Uh, my show in the huddle will actually release the ECAC Bowl matchups on Monday at noon Eastern Time. And we just learned on Sunday night, uh, because of heavy interest by schools winning records, they're adding a fourth ECAC Bowl game this year. And these games are all at campus sites, unlike the last couple of years. So we're really excited to have a part in extending 18 seasons with those announcements.
1: Yeah, in all honesty, we've talked about this on this podcast before, but this is a this is a concept that we can do and should do elsewhere. You know, think about right now the attractiveness of maybe... A St. Thomas-UW lacrosse bowl game, you know, uh, two teams. One, lacrosse is a team that is, I think, hungry and upset that it gets left out of the uh, playoffs, even though it was a team that really had no shot. Uh, St. Thomas, after ending its season with uh, two consecutive really bad performances, one of them uh, in a victory, one of them in a loss, would might, uh, might welcome the opportunity to kind of get things right and go off on a better note. How about Baldwin Wallace and Case Western Reserve, right? Those are those are two teams that uh, might benefit and, and enjoy a postseason game. Illinois Wesleyan and Wittenberg, you think what a combination that would be? I could see that maybe Wabash, after having won the Monon Bell, if you don't make the NCAA playoffs after that, you're probably fine. Maybe you don't want to continue. Maybe you're good, but uh, otherwise, I think that's a I think that's still a concept that we need to have here.
2: Pat, you know, the uh, idea of uh, three loss Thomas Moore team actually, you know, getting a longish discussion by the committee for the pool B slot should give a pause to many as we're beginning to see the limits of low schedule strength and getting a one loss team at large bids, possibly. Uh, you know, yeah, I get Ithaca didn't get a pool C slot with a reasonable profile for a two loss team, including losses to Brockport and RPI. And their decent strength of schedule, but that difference between them and let's say Mullenberg—I mean Muhlenberg—was not so large as to create the exact same scenario in Pool C. In 2019, there's no Pool B bids, but we know with folks like Jim Catanzaro returning to the committee that they're serious about the importance of strength of schedule, especially in Pool C. It wasn't just him paying lip service to it in Podcast 216 or in podcast 223, which is this one. So uh, it's something to keep your eye on in the future and for teams to really consider while they're scheduling going forward.
1: And if I can add one final thought uh, off the field, this one, just a quick reminder that nominations for the Glarty Trophy are due at 1 p.m. Eastern time on this upcoming Wednesday, November 14th. If you haven't thought about nominating your guy, haven't considered nominating your guy because he's not a quarterback or not a running back, or because you think you can't get a letter from your school's president, or you think his GPA won't qualify, I have three words for you coaches and SIDs, do it anyway. A letter from the president is no longer required. Uh, You know, a lot of the top quarterbacks this year are not yet seniors, so who knows? There's an opportunity still for defensive players, maybe for offensive linemen. This award has been kinder to defensive players and offensive linemen than those Heisman folks have ever been. And the, the J Club at St. John's really wants to continue to emphasize that it's a football award. So don't feel like your guy has to have, you know, the numbers that would get him on the academic all-district team. Talk about how well-rounded he is. Talk about his community service and the kind of programs that he's involved with. Because I know for me as a voter, those are the things I'm I'm just as interested in as what they do on the football field. The Gilardi Trophy is an award for the well-rounded student-athlete in the John Gallardi mold, right? And that is what you know is something that will help a kid rise to the top is if he has these extracurriculars and is a great football player and as long as his academics are you know you can check the box right yes he is an academic person i think that's what i'm trying to get at don't let the uh, don't let the the extra steps that you have to go through dissuade you from doing this because there needs to be great nominees for this award that's how we get great people named to this award that's how brett casper from uw oshkosh was the amazing epitome of the gillardy trophy last year it was uh, it was amazing to talk to this kid and to see what he's done uh, on and off the field that is what we need more of
2: he's not just a kid pat he's a man
1: yeah that's fair that's fair but you know you and i are well at least i'm i'm old i don't know about you
2: Oh, I'm old. Don't worry about that. But uh, guys like Brett Casper and a lot of the Golarity Trophy winners that we've talked to over the years, they they show, I think, there's between boys and men, uh, ultimately, and what they've been doing with their lives. And I I think that is a good part of the Golarity Trophy. But like you said in this, uh, it is a football war. And then we talk about all those other aspects of these guys.
1: Well, We've come to the end of the road in this podcast, but uh, keep an eye on the site this week for more playoff coverage, including our annual predictions column headed up by Adam Turer around the nation. A final set of uh, features focused on playoff teams and our playoff team capsules, the team by team playoff previews. We're hard at work on those, or at least I've assigned them out to people and I've started writing a half dozen of them myself. Meanwhile, we'll expect to see uh, coaching changes this week and we'll keep the coaching carousel moving as quickly as we get stories sids you'll be getting an email with information about nominating for our all-region team and our all-american team and coaches you'll be getting an email with a a few off-season items as well for those of you who are in your off-season 32 of us are not in the off-season so stick around there's a lot of football left to be played and this was d3football.com around the nation podcast number 223 released on november 12th 2018 Thanks for listening and keep an eye on all of that coverage throughout this week. If you like our podcast, please consider rating it at Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, frankrossipodcast.com, or wherever you get your fine podcasts and other podcasts, too. Anyway, that will help football fans find it. You can also leave comments for us on the blog page. The executive producer of the Around the Nation podcast is Pat Coleman. Production assistance provided by Dave McHugh. Audio in this edition provided by Brendan Gulick. We thank him for that. Our theme music is by DJ Mentos, whom you can find at DJMentos.com. Thanks especially to guest Jim Catanzaro for his time on this edition of our show. And also thanks to Jackson Erdman and Anthony Meglin from uh, St. John's and uh, John Carroll, as well as Kevin Nias and, of course, Thanks to our uh, emergency, not emergency, but semi-late planned co-host, Frank Rossi. And thanks to the creator of Around the Nation on D3Football.com and my co-host, Keith McMillan. You can reach us to talk more about Division Three football on Twitter using the D3FB hashtag. I'm at D3Football on Twitter. Keith is at D3Keith. I'm not going to mess up Frank's handle again. It's what? At Frank Rossi. Tricky. We have a message board devoted to Division Three sports. Did you know? Join the conversation by registering to post at d3boards.com. Also, you can follow d3football.com and Facebook. And when you reach out to us, understand that we did not put the bracket together and understand that the top 25 poll is never considered by the committee.
2: It's actually in the secondary criteria below them. It actually says flat out, Coaches, polls, etc., are not to be used or considered for the uh, criteria. It's in the book. It's in the book. By the way, uh, frankrossipodcast.com. Should I go get that domain name right now?
1: Uh, I think if we worked for a major network and I had just said that, then you would be required to go get it. Maybe I can use Frank the Tank as the discount code for that. <laughs> FrankTheTank30. Get a 30% discount on hosting your podcast with uh, frankspodcast.com. Thank you.
0: Thank you so much, everybody.